Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I'm excited that uh, uh, we're, you're here today. We're in week 2 of this series that we're calling uh, Devoted and Led, and it's going to be a series from the, the book of Acts that we're going to be in over the next few weeks. And the book of ha- Acts, if you're familiar with it, if you've studied it much, you know that it gives us uh, a great history lesson Uh, of what the church looked like when it was initially formed back there uh, in the very beginning. Uh, The the book of Acts gives us a a, a history lesson to how it all began and what you and I refer to as the church. They didn't refer to it as the church back then. But uh, over the years, an unfortunate thing has happened uh, in the church, and that's People began to think of the church as a place that you went to for religious services. And people began to associate the church as being a place, a place that you went to to experience something uh, religious. And instead of people being the church, people started going uh, to church. And it was an event that you sat through rather than a family or a movement or a body that you were actually a part of that served others and served your community. And so the book of Acts gives us a very clear picture of what the body of Christ, what we call the church today, what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, and what it's supposed to be doing. It's a group of followers of Jesus a group of people, a congregation of people, uh, of Jesus' followers who are devoted to Him and devoted to one another. And it's a group that is led by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be devoted to something? Well, I believe that you can probably think about different things in your life that you are devoted to. If, if you are devoted to something, then that means you probably spend a lot of time thinking about it. You probably spend a lot of time maybe doing it. You maybe even spend a lot of money uh, doing something that you are devoted to. If you are devoted to something... You are willing to be a part of that at any cost. It doesn't matter uh, what it may be. And so last week I introduced you to some questions that kind of challenged us a little bit. Uh, Some questions that I want us to wrestle with over the next few weeks as we go through the book of Acts. First question is this, is the church today an organization that just provides services And the second question is this, is the church today just a place that people attend? And I pray that we will honestly ask ourselves these questions and be honest with ourselves about what the answer is to those questions as we unpack the book of Acts and what God would want to speak into our lives and speak into our church as we go through the book of Acts here in God's Word. And it's my hope that for some of us, church will become so much more than what it is to you today. That church will become more than just a place that you attend, but it will become something that you are truly devoted to as you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your family. 
And so last week we were in Acts chapter 1, and what we did last week was we basically learned what the mission of the church is. This huge assignment, this task that was assigned to the 12 disciples and has been handed down through all generations to the body of Christ and those who call themselves followers of Jesus. And and so we saw last week what the mission of this movement was, the mission of the church, this huge assignment. Now here in chapter 2, we're going to see where this church, this, this movement actually became more organized and what that looked like. In, in fact, I've heard it said this way, and I want to share it with you. God doesn't have a mission for His church but he made the church for his mission. I want you to think about that this morning. God doesn't have a mission for his church. Instead, he created the body. He created the church for his mission. Right? He didn't look at this group of people who came together after uh, Jesus was last week. We saw him uh, ascend back into heaven, and, and he leaves the disciples this, this mission, this huge, awesome task to do. He, he didn't look at this group of people that had come together and, and go, Oh my goodness, now I've got this group of followers. What, what do I do with them? What, what do I tell them to do? He, he didn't think, you know, I need to find them something to do, so here's the mission. Instead, he formed the body, he formed the congregation, he formed the group of people for the purpose of the mission that we learned about last week. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and catch up. It'll be important for you understanding exactly where we're, where we're at. But uh, what that means to us is, is that, you know, a church that is not on mission, is it really a church? A church that is not on task, is it really a church? Is it really a healthy body of believers and followers of Jesus Christ? And I would also go to, so far as to say this, believers who are not on the mission, are they really a part of the church? Believers who are not really on mission and and carrying out this task that we've been called to do, are they really a part of the church? And chapter 1 showed us two things that propelled this huge movement going forward, and we looked at these two things last week. The first was this, the disciples were devoted to the message. They were devoted to the story of Jesus Christ and what He had done. In the death, the burial, and the resurrection, they understood that it was done for the salvation of not only their souls, but it was done for the salvation of all of humanity and all of mankind. And they were devoted to this mission and to this task. They were devoted to the gospel. And they were also led and they yielded to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in their lives and what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in them and through them. And the questions that we were confronted with last week were, have you been so captured by the message? Have you been so captivated by the salvation that you profess to have received? Are are you so captivated uh, by that so much that you are devoted to it? Meaning this, if you're devoted to it, it's meaning that we are willing to go anywhere. We're willing to do anything We're willing to give up anything. We're willing to spend whatever it takes 
for the sake of this message. Because, friend, when you truly understand the salvation and the power that is at work in your life that's giving you eternal life, you will be devoted that not only your family members know it and your family members experience, but that the whole world, all of humanity, all of creation that God called us to love, if we truly love them, we care about their soul and where they're going to spend an eternity in heaven. Are you devoted to that uh, today? And are you yielded to? And are you being led by the Holy Spirit in your life, in your family, in your job, wherever it is that God has put you? Do you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it means to walk with Him? Do you know what it means to be filled with the power of the Spirit? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead flows through your veins today if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you feel that? Do you know that? Do you walk in that? Do you walk in that victory day by day by day? Is Christianity for you, is it, is it just a lifestyle for you? Or is it truly an interaction between you and the Spirit of God? And I know these are hard questions. They're not popular questions. I'm not here today to win uh, your vote or a popularity contest. I'm here to share with you today the truth of God's Word and what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, what it means to be a congregation of believers who have accepted this task, this assignment, and are living faithfully to it, being led by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my prayers and my hope in this series is that we, we might become more of a Spirit-filled church than we are today. And I don't, I, I don't mean that it gets weird, okay? I don't mean that it gets crazy. I believe there's far too many churches around this world today that are far too weird and far too crazy, and they're scaring people away from Jesus, right? I don't believe that's what we've been called to do is be so weird that we run people off, but instead we ought to be so loving. We ought to be so passionate about the salvation that we have received that we want everybody to be loved into the kingdom, to be loved into and be a part of the family of God. But this church must be a spirit-filled church that does not push people away, that does not divide, but instead we live yielded to the Spirit in such a way that it draws people to our Lord and to our Savior. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's about living and walking and the moving of this Spirit working through us. And so today we're going to look at the coming of the Spirit on the, uh, on the body of Christ and, and uh, this group of believers. We're going to see uh, how it came, how it happened. I, I appreciate my my, one of my beautiful daughter-in-law's mail for reading that scripture for us this morning in our time of worship. We're going to talk about uh, how it all transpired and then see uh, the birth of the church that you and I call it today. We're going to see what that experience was like when the Spirit came. And then we're going to see, most importantly, what their response was to the salvation that they received. What their response was when they had been uh, empowered and they had received the Spirit in their own lives. So let's pick it up this morning. We're just going to rehash a few of those verses that we've already looked at, beginning at verse 1 here in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, and this was a Jewish holiday that would have brought all these different nationalities and types of people together. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. 
and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You can kind of think of this like a tornado. Some of you have been through a tornado. Some of you have uh, maybe witnessed a tornado or, or, or been in a hurricane, and you know the sound of that, right? It's just a sound like nothing else makes. You can actually hear the power of the wind and the power of that storm as it approaches and passes by. This is what it was like when the event happened. This is why it got so many people's attention because they had never seen or heard or experienced anything like this before. Verse 3, they then saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So what has happened here? Well, every believer of Jesus, every disciple, every follower of Christ at this point uh, now has the presence of God on them and the presence of God in them. It is exactly what Jesus told them was going to take place. Exactly what Jesus had told them was going to transpire. And not just Jesus, but you can go back to the Old Testament and see where prophets hundreds of years before had uh, prophesied to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon people. In the Old Testament, they were never allowed to be in God's presence. You weren't allowed to be in God's presence at all. But now, since Jesus, since the Holy Spirit, every believer is not only in God's presence, but don't miss this, friends, God's presence is in them. Not only are we in His presence, but His presence is in us. And this is awesome news for you today if you're a believer of Christ. Amen? Y'all hungry? If y'all don't get a little better, we're going to go long, okay? Just so you know. Every time I, every time I have to pause and go, y'all wait? Y'all mad? You know, every time, uh, it's just going to take us longer to go eat. So I'm preaching fast as I can preach. <clears throat> Verse 4. says, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue, in our own language. Now, now don't miss this. These tongues that were being spoken that day were other human languages. They may have been unknown to the speaker that was speaking them, but they were known to somebody else that was there that day. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Even Nazarenes don't drink at nine in the morning. Right? Peter's like, there's no way they're drunk. Peter goes on to explain what's happening in verse 16. No, they're not drunk. This is what was spoken, oh, by the way, by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Everybody say all people. All people, not just the Jews. Because up until this point, God had moved and worked in the nation of Israel and, and you know, his chosen uh, children of God, the designated people of God. But now, all people. His work is going out into all people, all the world, every nation, every tribe, every language. All of humanity should know about, accept, and worship Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this feeling of the Holy Spirit was for all believers. And this is great news for us. This is great news for us because we fall into the category of what? All people, right? I fit in there. Now, I've heard said that there are some people in this world that don't claim to be people anymore, and they claim to be various things. That's weird. That's crazy. That ain't right, all right? Just so you know. So we're all up front. We're all, all people, right? Amen? We're all people. And then Peter goes on to preach a sermon about who Jesus is. And at the end of that message, the people that hear this message, the people that hear this sermon that Peter has just preached to them, they respond by yelling out, then what should we do? Then what should we do? Let me tell you something. Every pastor in this world at the end of their message would love to have people respond back. Then what should we do? What should be our response to this? If this is true, and we believe this to be true, what should we do? What should be our response? And Peter says, this should be your response. You should repent. You should receive Jesus as the gift of salvation that He is to you. And you should be baptized as a sign of doing that. And you know what happened? 3,000 people responded. 3,000 people responded and accepted Christ and placed their faith in Jesus, their Savior, that very day. So, we have a picture here of what the beginning of the church looked like and how it all began. But now I want to focus on what their response was to being saved. What their response was to accepting Christ and proclaiming and becoming a follower of Jesus. Well, their response was this mighty movement of people that spread all over the world. They, that they, they were devoted to this message so that it spread not only all over the world, but it has been spread for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And you and I would not be here today had it not been for them and their devotion to it. But their response was this mighty movement that you and I so casually today call church. But I want you to notice what their response was after accepting Christ and becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Skip on down now to verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They accepted salvation. They became a part of this movement. They became, became a part of the body of Christ. And what did they do? They devoted themselves to learning more about it. They devoted themselves to 
fellowship with others that are part of the movement. They devoted themselves to to fellowship as this body of believers. They devoted themselves to being together and eating together. And all the faithful Nazarenes said, amen, right? Eating together, being together. They devoted themselves to being together and praying together. Why did they do this? They did this in response to the message. They did this in response to the salvation that they had experienced. It was a natural reaction to this good news of Jesus. It was this natural reaction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anyone who is devoted to a cause, that's just what they do. If you're devoted to something, what do you do? You want to learn more about it. You want to know as much about it as you can possibly find out. You're willing to do whatever it takes if you're devoted to it. To not only be a part of it, but to be a healthy part of it. To be a good part of it. This was just a natural reaction to them. This won't be a something i got to do. This is not a to-do list. It won't be things that you have to do. It will just be a natural result. It will be, if you are devoted to something, you will do it because you want to do it. Right? You ain't going to do it if you're not devoted to it. And so, it'll be what you want to do because you're devoted to it. And the first thing that we see here that they were devoted to all right, I had somebody earlier that was complaining, and it was my sister, that it was cold in here when she came in. Ah, it's so cold in here. Hold on. There. I hope my sister is happy because I'm up here sweating. <clears throat> what was the first thing that they were devoted to? Get that out of the way before I fall over it. First thing they were devoted to was learning, right? Was learning. If y'all visiting, I'm sorry. I'm. There. The first thing that they came to realize when this took place, when they realized their sins had been forgiven, when they realized that they were going to experience eternal life, when they had experienced the power of the Spirit falling on them and in them, and they realize, you know what? I've been adopted into the family of God. I have been adopted into the family of the King of Kings. I have been adopted into this amazing family. And when they realized that and they understood that, they wanted to know more about it. They wanted to learn more about it. And so they did what? They devoted themselves, don't miss this, to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the message. They devoted themselves to this good news, to the gospel. The people in the first century church, they didn't have to be told to do this. They didn't have to be reminded by Peter what it is that they ought to be doing and what they should be doing. They didn't have to even be told this. It just came naturally to them when they surrendered to Jesus Christ and made Him Lord and Savior of their life, they were devoted to wanting to know more about Him and know more about this movement. 
Because here's the deal. They had experienced this in their own lives. They had experienced this truth that the only way that a dead heart can be brought to life is through this message of Jesus. It's the only way. And they had experienced this. And after Jesus had left, this awesome task that seemed undoable to them at the time, after he had left them this huge task to the disciples to be his witnesses into all the world, God then revealed himself to us, think about it, through their words, right? How do we know about all this? How do we learn about it? How how do we experience this through the Word? It's through their witness. We talked about last week what a witness was. They were witnesses to the fact. They wrote it down. They recorded it for us right here in God's Word. And so when God revealed Himself to them and Jesus revealed Himself to them and the Holy Spirit was revealed to them, that was then revealed to us through their very words and their very accounts that we have recorded in the Bible. And I love you enough to tell you today, friends, there are no shortcuts to this. There aren't shortcuts to this. If you are a follower of Jesus... I believe that you will just naturally be drawn to His Word. You will just naturally be drawn to His teaching. You will be a learner and you will be devoted to learning more about your good and gracious Father who saved you from an eternity in hell. You'll want to know more so you can tell people more about it. Think about it, friends, if, if you were to be in a bad car wreck or, or you were, were to be in a boating accident and someone came along and they literally saved your life, you would have died if they not, would not have come along and saved you, would you tell anybody about that experience? I'm going to say from that point forward for the rest of your life, you would point to that person and say, they are my hero, they saved my life. Because you see, it's just a natural response. When somebody saves us, when somebody keeps us from from dying or saves us even from ourselves, we want to know more about it. We want to be, uh, we're, we're drawn to that. We want to tell others about that. And you know what I've learned in in many years of ministry now? I've seen it time and time and time again. You see it often. When people begin to get really serious about their relationship with God, they begin to get really serious about reading their Bible. They just go hand in hand. Happens every single time. You see somebody on fire for God, you see somebody that's in God's Word. You see somebody that's studying. You see somebody that the Holy Spirit is working not only in them, but through them. Can I just ask you this morning, because I love you, are you obsessed with the Word of God? Are you obsessed with the Word of God? Do do you even have a Bible reading plan that you follow? A plan that you follow to read and to study the Word of God? If not, can I ask you another question? How in this world are you surviving without it? How are you surviving without it? Because, friends, you know this. I don't have to tell you this. This world is filled with lies and deception. It's filled with lies and deception. And you know what? 
For most of us, that's all that is filling our minds and our hearts each and every day are the lies and the deception of the world. And we're just allowing that to come in in wave after wave after wave, day after day after day. And if you're not filling your mind and filling your heart with the truth of the Word of God, you don't have much of a chance against those waves that are coming at you every day. Over and over and over again. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I, I, I want to put this up on our screen. Our website, greenbarnazarene.org. Go to that website. Take a picture of this if you need to. Greenbarnazarene.org. There's a tab that says media. And when you click on media, it'll drop down and it'll say Bible reading plans. And when you click on that, get ready for your mind to be blown. Because there are hundreds Hundreds, literally. Hundreds of devotions, Bible reading plans that we have made available to you because this is so important. This isn't the first time I've told you this or shown you this. And this isn't just something that we put up this week because we knew we were going to be preaching about it. This has been on our website ever since we've had a website. We've made this available to you. Try to make it a little easier for you. Because we know how important it is for you. It's important for you. But as important as it is for you, can I just tell you today, it's more important for your children. It's more important for your kids. Are they getting the Word of God planted in their life anywhere else other than children's church back there on Sunday morning? And they get it good back there on Sunday. I'm telling you, they do. we got great workers, great leaders, great volunteers that are sharing the Word of God each and every week. But I'm telling you, a few minutes a week on Sunday morning is not enough to protect your child from the lies and deception that this world's throwing at them every single day. It is so very important. How do you expect your children to survive in this world without being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. They're not going to. When life cuts them, will they bleed God's Word that will bring healing, or will the world just cut them up and devour them? Because they have no defense. They have nothing to fight back with. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us to put it on our door frames, to hide it in your hearts. The church began... By Christ followers being devoted to learning, being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Are you? Are you? The second thing we see here is that they were devoted to the family of God. Y'all knew I was getting here. They were devoted to the family of God. They were committed to the church. They were committed to the movement, to the family of God. They were devoted to one another. They gave of themselves to one another. They poured into other people's lives and other people poured into their lives. And here's what they had experienced. Think about it. Jesus had given up His very life for them. He had poured out His life for them. And their response to that was what? They did the same for others. They devoted themselves to one another, just like Jesus had devoted himself to them. And, and they were a big group. Right now, at this point, we know they're at least over 3,000, right? Uh, a lot more than we got here today. At, at least 3,000 people. But verse 46 says something interesting, that they met 
day by day in homes. And so, yes, there was this big group. There was this big movement, this big congregation. And then there were smaller groups that branched out from that all throughout the week. And, and, you know, the, the big group is kind of like an army that's coming together to kind of encourage one another, to celebrate, to maybe get their marching orders or whatever. But think about it. These smaller groups that were gathering, they were so much more personal. Because you can't really have a personal relationship, even in a group this size. A lot of, a lot of you over here don't know any of these people over here. And, and a lot of you over here don't know these people over here. And these people over here are really cool. I'm not saying you're not, but they're really cool. All right? But, but we can't really build personal relationships in, in this environment right here. Uh, especially when, uh, before I even say amen, at the end of the service, some of you are already running as fast as you can to get to the car because you're afraid somebody will talk to you. Oh, my gosh. Really? Wear deodorant. Do something. We'll, we'll take you in, even without deodorant. I don't, well, maybe not. But. but just these smaller groups are so much more personal. It's where people actually loved one another. And they, they served each other. They cared for one another. They, they, they cared about one another's burdens. They cared about one another's concerns. They ate together. They learned together. They prayed together. And I don't want you to hear me wrong today. I'm not saying that the big group is not important because the big group is very important. Scripture is crystal clear about that. The gathering of the church to worship and to do what we do here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights is extremely important. Even though a lot of people in America today, that sounded like a Charlie Daniels song, didn't it? I just heard, never mind. Um, a lot of people in America today think that church is not a big deal. And that the gathering of the church, the gathering of the body of Christ is not really that important. And everybody that's watching online now just got offended, I'm sorry. But it's extremely important. The gathering together of the church is, is extremely important. And the Bible is clear about that. If you're not committed to the big gathering, then friends, you definitely will never be committed to one another and smaller gatherings on a more personal level. And it's in more personal settings where we give of ourselves to one another. And it's not just another box that you've got to check in order to be a Christian. Oh, he's telling me there's something else i got to do. i got to go to Sunday school. Check. Got to go to small group. Check. Got to go to Bible study. Check. You know, it's not about that. This fellowship, this idea is something that you will, listen, something that you will hunger for. It will be something that you have to have. You, you have to be a part of it. You have to be devoted to it. You'll have a hunger to be a part of the family of God, a hunger to be around other fellow believers. You'll have a hunger to want to pour into them and for them to pour into you. You'll want that desperately in your life. And yes, it can happen in homes and it can happen in Sunday school classes, but friends, it can also happen in coffee shops. It can also happen at the wagon wheel. If you pay close attention to this account, of what the church was meant to be from the very beginning, here's what you start seeing throughout this message. They were together. They were together. Verse 44, they were together. Verse 46, they met together. They ate 
to gather. So the question isn't just, are you in a small group or are you in a Sunday school class or a Bible study? Friends, that's just a tool. That's just something that we use to try to facilitate these gatherings, to try to encourage you to be a part of. We, we try to set up things and ways for you to do that. We shouldn't have to do that. It should be something that we all just want to do. And I'm, I'm so excited. There are a group of young uh, people, young married couples, that just on their own decided to start getting together once a week and studying God's Word and talking about the struggles of life and, and, and just talking about you know, what God's Word means to them and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And they're praying together and praying for one another. We, we, we didn't force that. We didn't even push that. It's just something that they wanted to do, and I'm so excited about it. So excited about what God's going to do. So the question is this morning, are you investing into the body? Are you investing in people's lives and opening your life up so that others can invest in you? Let me tell you something. Some of the greatest investments that have been made in my life have been by other followers of Christ speaking wisdom into my life, speaking encouragement into my life and into my family, and into my kids. It has meant so much to me that that has happened and that has taken place. I mentioned this a few weeks back, but I, I believe one of the greatest times of spiritual growth that I recall in our church. I'm not talking about numeric growth. I'm talking about spiritual growth. Growth that goes deep and is deeply rooted but a time that I remember in the past 25 years that I've been here at this church was during a time when we had several different groups of people gathering together to pray and to meet together. And we didn't say, okay, here's a group and y'all get together and here's a group and y'all get together. It just started happening and groups started meeting together in one another homes, studying God's word, praying, praying for one another, encouraging one another, holding one another accountable. It was one of the greatest times that I believe that we have experienced in the history of the church. And as people began to do that, lives began to change. People began to come to know Christ and, and become a part of the kingdom of God. Because these people were pouring out, pouring in, and praying for others. I'll never forget. I'll tell you exactly how you know this was a work of God. I had a group of men that was coming to our house once a week. The boys were little. We'd put them to bed, I don't know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock uh, at night. Now, and I had two different groups. I had one group that would come uh, once a week in the morning at like 4.30, which meant I had to get up and make coffee. If you know me very well, you know I'm not a morning person. My wife will tell you that I, can't, I probably could not get along with Jesus at 4.30 in the morning. All right? Um, and, and so this was, this was strictly a work of God that I would get up at this time of day to spend with these men. Some of the most rewarding times I recall being a Christian was with those men in that group. But then at night, after the boys would go to bed once a week, I had a group of young men because I was youth pastor at the time. Had this group of young men uh, that would come to my house once a week, and we'd just spend time together and, you know, a, a little bit of study of God's Word. But we'd spend most of our time talking about things that were going on in our lives, things that concerned them, uh, allowed these young men to share prayer requests. And I kept a little notebook, and I would write them all down so I wouldn't forget, and I'd know how to pray. It's just a special time with me and those guys gathered around a, our, our breakfast table there. Several years later, 
I found that notebook where I'd been keeping those prayer requests. And I began to read through it. And it just began to blow my mind to see what God had done in and through those young men, in and through those prayers that were prayed, in and through those tears that were shed by these young men over someone that they desperately wanted to see come to know Christ as their Savior. This one uh, young man in particular that was coming, uh, his mom and dad, they weren't in church. Uh, They were far from the Lord. Um, It wasn't because they didn't know about the Lord. It's just because they had chosen a different lifestyle. It wasn't a, a great situation in the home. And this young man had such a burden for his mom and dad to come to know Christ and accept him and be a part of the family of God. When I was reading through that list of prayer requests that we'd been praying, we'd been praying for that young man's mom and his dad, I thought, wow, how awesome is God? Because that young man's daddy is now pastoring a church in South Carolina. Friends, that's what happens. When the body of Christ gets it right. And I'm not saying, look at me, oh, look at what I... I, I'm telling you, that was a time in the history of our church that God did some powerful things, amazing things. Oh, and that young man, by the way, he went on to become a missionary himself. Friends, I don't believe that God has stopped calling people into ministry. I don't believe that God has quit calling missionaries. I believe that we have just got too busy to hear the call. The world is too loud around us so that we can't hear the voice of God softly speaking and calling us to serve Him and follow Him. Some of you were part of those groups. You remember that time that I'm talking about. And you remember that God did some powerful and awesome things. And it was through that that many came to know Christ for the first time as their Lord and Savior. And so I think it's fair for me to ask you today, why are we not still doing this? Does your life include this today in any shape, form, or fashion other than you coming to church occasionally? This was a natural response to what Jesus had done for them. This was a natural response to the gospel for them. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves away. And they were devoted to this fellowship and to the family of God. Friends, that is the church. That is the church. But sadly today, many people think the church is about what we can get out of it. What the church can do for us. And I'll tell you, there are pastors all around this world today that are standing behind pulpits, greatly discouraged. Many are walking away from their assignments and their calling because they are literally being drained by people who think that it ought to be all about them and what the church and the pastor ought to be doing for them and to serve them. The point of the church is not what you're going to get out of it. The point of the church is not how much you're getting. The point is to give yourself away. It's the same in any kind of relationship. 
I, I, let, let me tell you something. If, if you, in, in your relationship, in your marriage relationship, if you will even take on this attitude that we're supposed to have as it comes to the body of Christ, if we're supposed to have that kind of attitude toward the body of Christ, shouldn't, of all people, we have it with our spouse? To where we want to pour into and serve. And you're like, well, I don't like them. I don't like the way they serve me. I don't like the way they treat me. I don't like what they do for me. Listen, it ain't about you. If you will pour into your spouse, if you will serve them, if you will love them, if you will be a blessing to them, if you will help make their life easier, I'll tell you what will happen on the flip side of that. They're going to fall deeply in love with you. And they're going to want to serve you. They're going to want to bless you. They're going to want to help you. And you know what? Then what you, you know what you have then? A happy marriage. So those of you that are miserable right now, some of you, I can tell by the way you're sitting beside your spouse right now. Y'all have already had it this morning. <laughs> serve one another. Pour yourself out for one another. It's what we've called to do as the church, and it's what we've called to do in our families and in our marriages. The point's never what you can get out of it. Our problem today is that the world tells us that we ought to be the center of our universe. That's some of, that, some of those lies. That's, that's some of that stuff that destroys, that we're allowing into our minds, that we ought to be the center of the universe, that it ought to be all about us, what we can get, what we can have. And that's what's wrong with a lot of families and marriages today and why they're falling apart. Again, the world is filling our families and our marriages in our churches, with lies and deception. But what's the truth? What's the truth? The truth is that we will be devoted to each other and give ourselves away as the body of Christ. We will be unselfish, and we will be willing to serve. And one other thing I just want to point out here before we wrap up, we're going to have a baptism here in just a little bit, and I may get in there with... Uh, I've never done that before, but I may start today. One other thing I just want to point out real quickly that jumped out to me here in chapter 2 was how diverse a group of people this was. Verse 5 says that they were from every nation under heaven, which tells me what? They were different, right? They were different. They had different cultures. They had different ideas, even different languages, but yet they were unified by this message. They were unified by this movement of God that was taking place among them. Right? And, and I think about this, and I think, you know what? This, this picture of what we have here in the early church, I believe, is just a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Anytime I've been on mission trips, this just grabs a hold of me as I see people who are very much not like me. Right? I mean... I shine like new money in Belize, let me just tell you. And I've taken my family there. My family has been. And, and I encourage you, if you've never been on a mission trip, you've never put your family in a place to serve like that, if you can at all possibly do it, do it. It will change your life. It will change your family. It will change the way your kids think about the world in general. But man, I go over there and I see people praising God, praising my God, the same God that I worship, and they do it in such a different way. They, they do it so differently. They praise God in their own way. They praise God in different languages. I, I shared a video a few years back. I had the opportunity to represent our district at our General Assembly, and it's approaching again next year. But we sang a song, and they sang it in every language 
that the church of the Nazarene has churches established in. It was the most powerful thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I was sitting there thinking, this is heaven. This is exactly what heaven is going to be like. And when you see that and you hear that and you experience that, it just does something in you to know that we're bigger than who we see here in this room each and every Sunday. Newsflash, heaven's not only going to be filled with Americans. Newsflash, heaven's not only going to be filled with Republicans. It's not only going to be filled with Democrats. It's not only going to be filled with white people or black people. The church, friends, is multiracial. The church is multiracial. It is multi-ethnic. It's people of different backgrounds. It's people of different cultures. People of different economic statuses. People of different educations. This is what the church is. And this is what the family of God looks like that you have been adopted into if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And friends, I'm praying that our church someday will give us a little foretaste of what heaven is going to look like. A uh, student that is uh, work, doing some coursework uh, for a class that they're taking, taking uh, sent me some questions this week for me to answer. I probably shouldn't share this, um, but I'm going to. Um, so they asked me, they said, what do you see as the future of our church? And I'm like, well, you know, I really... I really can't define what the future will be, but I can tell you, you know, that, that verse that Melanie ran, uh, read earlier, that the old men will dream dreams. Um, I dream of a church someday that has a huge Hispanic ministry. Because we can turn our heads, we can deny that it's going on around us, but Arkansas has one of the fastest growing Hispanic populations <laughs> in the nation. And we can't just ignore it. They're, they're, they're coming to us. Are, are we seeing them as potential Christians if they're not already? I would love for us to have a Hispanic ministry someday. I believe God would honor that. And we'd see many come to know Christ. But I'm telling you, the church is so much bigger than what you and I see here each and every Sunday morning and I just want you to know, based on what we see in the early church, followers of Jesus will be so captivated and so captured by the message that they will be devoted to the apostles' teaching. They will be devoted to learning. They will hunger for God's Word in their lives just like they hunger for food and air to breathe every single day. I believe that with all my heart. Can I just ask you this morning, has this message so captured you that you are obsessed with being in His Word and learning more about it and learning more about Him? Has it so captured you that you've made the apostles' teaching a priority in your family? Have you made it a priority for your kids and for your grandkids? Followers of Jesus will also be captured by this message 
so captivated and captured by it that they will be devoted to one another. Being devoted to each other is just a natural response to being devoted to God. And when we yield to the Spirit, and we allow the Spirit to fall upon us in the way the way it did there on the day of Pentecost, it will change your lives in a powerful way if we allow the Spirit to lead us and use us. Friends, devoted and led. Let me ask you, does what we've seen here this morning look anything like the life that you're living for Jesus right now? Does your life look anything like that? If not, then you should seriously consider if you're truly a part of the family of God. Or if you're just a member of an institution. My prayer for you, my prayer for our church is that we will be devoted, as devoted to the things of God as this first century church was. And I invite you to join me, to join us, join the family of God, join this movement, and it will change your life forever. That's why Jesus came, so that you'd be a part of his family, and you'd be devoted to him and the family, and led through the power of his Spirit. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you today so much for your word. I thank you for these people. I'm so thankful for people who I see each and every day that get this. And they're so passionate about it. They're so devoted to you. It's obvious they have experienced this in their own heart and their life. And God, sometimes we just need to be reminded that, you know what? The world is out to rob us of our joy, to rob us of our happiness, to rob us of this family, and who we are and whose we are. And so, God, today I thank you for this awesome reminder. Sometimes your word's not easy to listen to. Sometimes it cuts like a scalpel, removing cancer that needs to be removed to bring, so that it might bring healing to the body. But, God, today I just trust your spirit. I, I trust what you're doing here today, and I trust what you're going to do in the days ahead and in the future. And God, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for people that get it. I'm grateful and thankful for those that came before us here in this local church decades ago and even a century ago that were devoted and led by the Holy Spirit. God, I'm thankful for their sacrifice, for their faithfulness. And my prayer is that Maybe years from now, people will look back upon us and go, man, what a faithful group of believers. What a faithful group of people that were so devoted to the body, so devoted to the body of Christ, so empowered and led by the Holy Spirit that God did amazing things in them and through them. God, that's all I want to be. I just want to be a part of the movement. I want to be a part of what you've done in the past. I want to be a part of that in the future. I want our church to be a part of what you're going to do because there's going to be a great awakening. There's going to be a great revival that's going to take place before you come to take your children home. I believe that with all my heart. Let it begin in me.
God, thank you so much again for your awesome love, for this reminder of your love today and who you've called us to be and what you've called us to be. As we go out from this place, I pray that you'd find us faithful, that we would represent you in a way that honors you and draws people to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray.